the scripture for today is 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 10 through 11. It can be found on page 961 in the Black Pew Bible in front of you. Chapter 15, starting in verse 10. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach and so you believed. Hey, good morning, everyone. Good morning. My name is Mark, and I'm one of the pastors here, and it's really good to see all your faces this morning. Um, yeah, so by way of getting us all on the same page, uh, when, when Andrew and I talked about how we would walk through the book of Colossians as we were planning the sermon calendar, we knew that there would be two significant breaks that we would take before we got to the kind of um, December and Advent kind of shift in the church calendar. One of those breaks was in July when people are gone and there's lots of vacations and things like that. We would go ahead and spend four weeks in the Psalms and that one has come and gone. And then the second break that we wanted to take out of Colossians was time in the fall to preach through the dynamics of our mission statement again. The fall provides a unique opportunity to kind of strategize and get on the same page and kind of lock in and get a view of where we're headed and what we're about. So there were, uh, yeah, there were two places that we knew we would take a break from Colossians before we finished Colossians right at the beginning of December. Last year, around this time, I preached through our mission statement, but I structured it really differently. And in this series, I'm going to spend three more weeks going through the mission statement. And in this series, um, I, I wanted to make two significant changes from how I've done it in the past. Last time I preached through our mission statement, I preached through it clause by clause, kind of what it is and what we mean by it. But what I want to do now, and I want to, what I want to do for our church moving forward, is to distill unique dynamics of the mission statement that will show up over and over and over again in our church and will tie things that we're doing on the ground directly into the language of our mission statement. I want to distill our goals into biblical categories, biblical categories that are easy to hold on to, that fit with our aims as an elder body. And in order to do this, I arranged the, the mission of this church into four essential dynamics. I want it to be concise, and I want to remove ambiguity. And those four dynamics are cultivation, communion, transformation, and vocation. So I'll say those every week as I get up here, as we preach through this series, but it's cultivation, that's the work that we want to do. Communion, as we talk about cultivating communities of transformed disciples, communion is who we want to work with. That's communion with God and communion with one another. So we want that to be rich and strong and becoming more strong in everything that we do. Then we have transformation. That's the work that only God can do. And vocation, that's what it looks like to live it out in every aspect of our lives for the glory of God. 
At the end of August, I sent a September newsletter, and in that email, I talked about this sermon series just a little bit in our church's mission statement, and I'm going to quote that email. In it, I said, I want to be explicitly clear about my goals for this really short sermon series. Number one, I want to help move from abstract down to concrete. I want to help us gain clear appreciation for some really key concepts. And I hope that this clarity will prove to be strategic for us as a community. And I'm committed in this series to demonstrating that these dynamics are overtly and saturated in biblical principles and biblical reality. So this week, we're going to talk about cultivation, and that's it. We're just going to talk about cultivation. And to cultivate means trying to acquire or develop a quality or a sentiment or a skill. And synonyms for the word cultivate are pursue, work hard at, foster, nourish, nurture, acquire, and encourage. This is the work that we want to do. And we are what we are by the grace of God all the time, top to bottom. So Paul's exhortation to us in this text is crucial to absorb as we think about the work that we do as a church family. Paul, Paul was made an apostle by God through grace. He didn't earn it. He didn't deserve it. It wasn't owed him. And yet, he says he worked harder than anyone Harder than anyone. And when he says that, he's meaning I worked harder than the other guys, the other apostles. The central reason I selected this text is because I long for us to have a mind to work, to work hard by the grace of God. Let me say my sermon today in just one sentence. Cultivation takes grace-empowered work. Cultivation takes grace-empowered work. That, that's it. That's the, the spoiler. If we want to be a people that see fruit, we must have a mind to work. If we want to see disciples of Jesus Christ growing in their hearts and growing in their minds and growing in their practices in conformity to Christ, into his character and his heart, that we must have a mind to work. If we want to be faithful to the ministry that we've been called to, and that's not the pastors, that's everybody, everybody. We've all been called to a ministry. And if we want to be faithful to fulfill it, then we must have a mind to work. And this can't be, this can't be just a Sunday thing because most of your lives aren't lived during this Sunday service. You get 40 minutes of instruction on Sundays, you get 20 minutes of corporate singing and worship, and you get maybe 15 minutes of conversation in the halls and galleries or where you're serving. The cultivation of your life happens in the daily rhythms and the reinforced values that you uphold every day through your behaviors and your consistent practices. The work of cultivation happens in the nooks and in the crannies of life, in the day in and day out rituals and routines that you have in your life. But grace-empowered work is what we're created for, and that's what we mean when we talk about cultivation in this church. That's the work that we want to do, the work of pursuing the things of God. 
working hard at loving God and enjoying God, fostering growth and maturity, nourishing, nourishing the malformed people in this church and the immature in Christ, seeing them strengthened and growing up in him and encouraging everyone to press on and to press forward and to press deeper into who Jesus is. Cultivation is the work that we want to do. Listen to 2 Peter 1.5 and following. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and if they are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective. They keep you from being unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And skipping down a little bit further. Therefore, I intend to remind you of those qualities often. Though you know them and are established in the truth, I think it right, as long as as I'm in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder. So this morning, I just want to encourage us. I want to encourage us with the message that God's grace towards you is not merely a favorable disposition towards you. It isn't merely a favorable attitude that he possesses. It is that, but it is also power in your life to live differently, to work differently. And it's work that we've been called to. The scriptures command all kinds of work and we want to foster a kind of church culture that embodies biblical values and biblical principles. And the way that we do that is always by the grace of God. And in fact, only by the grace of God can we do that. So before I move any further, I'm going to pray for us and then we'll keep marching forward. Would you all pray with me? Spirit of the living God, would you arrest our hearts? Would you throw the cold water of your word into our faces this morning and wake us up? Wake us up in the deepest places of lethargy and sleepiness and stupors that this world and this fog that we live in kind of um, sing and muse and lullaby us into. Would you arrest our hearts, Holy Spirit? Set our faces like flint towards the mission of God. Fill us with faith this morning. Unite our hearts together in love. Unite this body together in love. Push us forward. Wake us up. Show us things that stand in the pathway so we can move them out of the way. We can confess sin. We can cut off things that drag us back or things that just add drag to the aerodynamics of our sanctification. Would you show show those things to us? We believe that you will. We know that you love us. Would you direct us this morning, fill us with faith, I pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.
Amen. So I just want to talk about three quick kind of dynamics when it comes to this section of what Paul's talking about. When he says, hey, I worked harder than anybody, but it wasn't me. It was the grace of God working in me. I am what I am. I am what I am by the grace of God. So in general, in general, human beings were created for work, created for work. Grace-empowered work is what we are saved for, And grace-empowered work is the calling of every believer. So in general, work is what we were created for. Grace-empowered work is what we're saved for. And grace-empowered work is the calling of every believer. Grace-empowered work is the calling of every believer. So first, listen to Genesis chapter 2. I want to talk about how we were created for work. Genesis chapter 2 says, Then the Lord God formed man of the dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. And the Lord God planted a garden toward the east in Eden, and there he placed the man whom he had formed out of the ground the Lord had caused to grow every tree that is pleasing to the sight and good for food. The tree of life also in the midst of the garden, and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Then the Lord God took the man and put him into the garden to cultivate it and to keep it. Grace, the grace of God, God's kindness, his disposition to be um, abundantly compassionate and loving towards the creature, grace did exist before the fall before the sin of mankind. God's grace to you is all his goodness to you in your state of fallen, sinful nature. But his grace was also all his goodness to Adam and Eve and creation in the beginning because God's not beholden to anyone. He's not forced to do anything. We can't demand anything of him. And his grace was present in pre-fall designs. However, I'm using the phrase grace-empowered to talk about the last two points, and I'm staying away from it in the first point just to evade or avoid any kind of confusion. That's my main reasoning there. I'm going to save the term grace-empowered for the works that we are called to specifically connected to being saved and being new creations in Christ. But in general, Human beings were made to work. Work is a good thing. It's a good thing. God looked at his creation and his designs, including work, and he called it very good. When I was, when I was about 19, when I was about 19, there was this younger couple in our church, in the church that I was a part of at the time, and they were wildly successful. They had started with nothing, but they'd worked really hard and at a really young age had already acquired real estate in a couple different global cities and they did really well for themselves. And I worked for this couple at the time when I was 19. And one day I was asking the husband, I said, hey, hey, what drives you? Like what, like, you know, in your late twenties, you're buying property in New York like, or Chicago. Like what, what, what happened there? What, what drove you? And His main answer was that he responded to me with this book that he had read. Now, full disclosure, I haven't read this book, but I don't like it. The book was called The Man's Epidural, The Man's Epidural, or something like that. And the thesis of the book was that just like modern culture and technology have developed an epidural for women, 
right? Women in labor so that they don't feel any pain in childbirth. The way for men to mirror this development is for men to accumulate enough resources to become independent, independently wealthy and make work unnecessary. That's their explanation. That's the thesis of the book. And I can say right now, how many women have gone through childbirth and can tell me that while the technology of the epidural might be very much appreciated, it is a far cry from removing the curse that God administered at the fall. There are many pains involved in bearing children that the epidural does not alleviate. The thesis is skewed from the beginning from the beginning. And I always resented the title of the book for multiple reasons, but the most obvious one is this. Work, hard work, isn't the curse. Work isn't the curse. And I have to say that to all of us. This isn't a male-female thing. God made mankind to be fruitful and multiply and subdue the earth and to do that together. Toil, toil is the curse. But work is part of God's design for creation. He wants us to work because he made us in his image and he works. He's planning and designing and creating. And what we see every day is the result of his eternal counsel and will. It's staggering. The curse shows up after Adam and Eve, after they sin, and it impacts our work, but work is not the curse. Thorns and thistles and toil is the impact of the curse, but work is your calling as a human being. The curse is futility in work and frustration in work, but not the work itself. Human beings were created for work, and after the fall, our work is opposed. It is frustrated, and it's fraught in many ways. In the church, our work will meet obstacles and hurdles and unforeseen challenges, but that doesn't change the creational fact that you and I were created for work, to spread the truth and goodness and beauty of God throughout the globe. You were created to cultivate, to cultivate. That's why that word is part of our mission statement. We want to be a church that's not surprised when work shows up to do and doesn't go away. And doesn't go away. Because, and this is good news for you this morning, God isn't waiting for the unexpected difficulties in your life to be removed so that he can do the work in you that he wants to do. Don't miss that. God's accomplishing his work in you precisely in the midst of those very things in your life that you believe are keeping you from your real growth. I don't know what it is about us that thinks that real growth happens when we don't feel any hindrances anymore, when we don't feel like we're cutting against the grain anymore. That's not how it works. God has plans for these exact situations in your life and the situations that you think are just a nuisance to your own personal growth are the exact ones that he is using to do work in your heart. He's not waiting. He's not waiting for something to be over or for something to, something's difficulty to end. He's working in it right now. Number two, grace-empowered work is what you were saved for. Ephesians chapter 2, 8 through 10 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It's a gift of God, not a result of works so that nobody can boast. For we are his 
workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared way beforehand for us to walk in them. That's wild. God does work and we're it. We're it. We are God's work. We are what he's up to, what he's doing. God didn't save us so that we could be comfortable. God didn't save us so that he, we could put our feet up and feel secure in our idleness, believing that at least we'll go to heaven when we die. God didn't save us so that we could feel smarter or better than other people. God didn't save us so that we could bask in the glory of being right all the time. God didn't save us so that we could hang up our work clothes, wait for the whistle to blow, and then go home to glory. He saved us for good works. Now, let me ask, let me ask and answer my own question. Why am I talking about this, this idea of cultivation, of cultivating? Why am I talking about it as a dynamic or a kind of like essence or a spirit of, of, of cultivating instead of specific actions? Instead of specific, a specific list of things that we should be doing, why point out that cultivation is the work that we want to do, it's the work that we're saved for, instead of giving us a list to check off for work that the Bible calls us to? And the answer to that question is simple. Mainly, I'm trying to focus on a disposition. I'm trying to focus on a culture, an attitude in this place. In the life of the church, as long as God has us exist as a church, it will, it will require different seasons. It will require that we discern different areas of growth at different times and different seasons in our church. If we aim for maturity in Christ, like the book of Colossians talks about, there will be seasons when God calls us to grow up from different specific immaturities. Think for a second about the churches in Revelation. Think about how God comes to these churches and he essentially says to all of them, hey, there's a big list of things that I love about what you're up to. There's a big list about, about what you're doing that I love. It's, it's, it's something that's worth blessing. It's something worth naming and honoring. And there's also a list of stuff that, that, I'm, um, that you're, gonna, you're gonna find dire consequences if you continue. There's a list of things that you must stop doing. There's a list of things that you need to grow up in. There's a list of places that you need to mature in Christ. And there will be times in our church just like that. The Christian life doesn't offer us a cruising altitude. It doesn't. It doesn't offer me one. It doesn't offer you one. There's no AI-driven cars in the Christian life. Just take your hands off the steering wheel. By grace, I am what I am. And his grace isn't in vain. And how do we understand that it isn't in vain? It's because we work. That's grace being not in vain. It's not merely a doorway into a guilt-free idleness. It's not a doorway into a justification that looks lazy, lazy and indolent, just waiting for eternity in heaven to come. His grace towards you isn't in vain, and you know that because you work. There'll be times in our church that the elders discern that we need to cultivate training in evangelism or courage to face challenges and become more resilient 
as Christians. There might be time where the, times where the Spirit of God is leading our church to focus on maybe cultivating a deeper prayer life or, or any number of things where you could fill in the blank. But cultivation is to be the ethos. Cultivation is to be the, the flavor or the quality or the dynamic of the culture in this church because we expect to till and sow and water and reap and till and sow and water and reap and over and over and over again. We expect to till and sow and water and reap godly character or healthy marriages or uh, families that love God. And if God's pleased to bring fruit from our labor in this place, we would also do well to not forget that fruit is heavy. As one pastor says, fruit is heavy. It doesn't mean it's going to be easy. Listen to this offer in reference to, uh, in reference to 1 Corinthians 15. Even Paul's, even the apostle Paul's intense labors in the gospel are ultimately not the result of a personal need to pay God back for his grace, but are themselves the reflection of the very grace at work in Paul's life. Thus, in Paul's theology, even though his labor is a response to God's grace, it is more properly seen as the very effect of that grace. So apparently grace works. Grace does things. It works really hard. Number three, it's the calling of every believer. Grace-empowered work is the calling of every believer. I'm going to rattle off some verses about exhorting us to work. Hebrews 10, 24. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Titus 3, 8 says, the saying is trustworthy, and I want, I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. Colossians 3, 23 and 24 says, whatever you do, whatever you do, Work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. We use the theme of cultivation in our mission statement because we want to be a people that embrace God's design for human beings. And we want to be a people that embrace God's design for new creation in Christ. And we want to be a people that embrace the call of God on our lives for ministry and service inside and outside the church. Every believer is called to live a life that is lived on top of the altar of sacrifice to steward the gifts that God has given you and God has given every single one of you gifts to steward those and invest the talents that God has bestowed on you. This exposed and exhortation 
that I want to offer this morning, as I thought about pushing us and leaning on us and encouraging us, I thought about the state of our hearts, the state of our hearts. So I want to offer an exhortation this morning. When I think about what it might look like to live a life of cultivation, a life that offers to others and ultimately back to God every single thing that you've been given, I want to exhort us to do the work of tilling our hearts first. There is such a thing as a fallow heart, an, an obstinate, unyielding, arrogant, neglectful heart, a heart that keeps us from growing. And it's similar to how the hardness of the earth keeps seed from taking root and growing. There's a stiffness, there's a stiff-necked posture that keeps us from changing. There's a hardness and a deafness that keeps us from bearing fruit. And I want to mention this because it takes a prepared heart to live out this calling, just like it takes prepared ground to receive seed for fruit in the world around us. Listen to this author. He talks about the nature of a tilled heart, and he says it this way. This quote has wrecked me for weeks. Quote, just as, just as there is no state of soil more satisfying to a gardener than that which is mellow and friable and crumbling to pieces at this touch, so there is no heart more satisfying to God than that which breaks at his touch, that crumbles under his mighty yet tender hand. The prophet Hosea says, sow for yourselves righteousness, reap steadfast love, break up your fallow ground, for it is the time to seek the Lord, that he may come and rain righteousness upon you. We can cultivate in vain. We can cultivate for our own glory, for our own comfort, for our own anxiety to go away. But the kind of work I'm talking about comes from a broken heart and runs on grace, not willpower. It runs on grace and not fear. It runs on grace and not selfish ambition. Let's be a people that work really hard and yet not us. It's the grace of God that's at work in us. So this morning, man, what an opportunity. If you know that you have shirked responsibilities in your life, repent. In this room this morning, if you're here and you know that you've been lazy you can repent. If you're in this room this morning and you know that you're trying to hide from the hard work of the kingdom, the Father's arms are open to you to embrace you. If you're in this room this morning and you pick and choose which parts of the Bible you want to obey and you avoid the parts that you don't want to obey, you can repent. If you know this morning that your heart is fallow and fruitless and hardened, Maybe you're arrogant, or maybe you become bitter, or maybe you're resentful towards God, and if that's you this morning, you can repent. It's the kindness of God to you. 
Humble yourselves before God again because he likes to give grace to humble people. Receive that grace and then let's get to work. Two places in our church right now that we're doing this kind of work is what Andrew talked about. We have one big story, which is 10 weeks right now. The women in our church are going through all the books of the Bible, all of them. And then we're also doing another men's formation lab at the end of the month that starts on uh, September 26th. I highlight those as just two specific opportunities. And we're still learning how to make those, make the best of those contexts. But the point of what we do isn't like so that we can be a country club or so that we can be a social community. Those places are for digging and tilling and breaking up so that we can cultivate character and virtue and Christ-likeness. That's the purpose of different contexts in our church. So if you're participating in something in our church that puts your feet on the ground and you have to show up at a certain time or you have to show up early to help set up for it, these are the dynamics that are at, are at play. These are the things that are really going on behind the curtain. Next week, I'm going to talk about, next week I'm going to talk about communion, and it makes me think about even our, um, our cookouts that we'll have at the end of this month, like a, a, a large setting for us all to get together. Those have whys behind them that make them way more meaningful than us getting together and patting each other on the back. It's an opportunity to look in each other's eyes and sacrifice for each other, connect with each other, hear each other's stories, and love one another. The dynamics we're after are underneath the surface that we see, and I want us to be completely and overtly aware of those realities. By grace, by grace in this place, work for spiritual maturity. By grace in this place, work for reconciliation. By grace in this place, move toward awkward conversations. By grace, get up early and read your Bible. By grace, Send a nervous email. By grace, text someone on the other end of a strained relationship. By grace, bring people into your home in hospitality. By grace, welcome the stranger. By grace, lead your wife. By grace, submit to your own husband. By grace, cultivate virtues. By grace, forgive others in this place just like you've been forgiven. By grace, heed correction and take the risk to give correction. Take advice and offer advice. Listen to what others have to say and speak up when it's time to speak. Paul's able to say, I worked harder than anyone, but I didn't work. It was the grace of God that works in me and through me. God's grace is sufficient. His power is shown. His power is on display in our weakness. If we want to be a place that's honest and cultivates gospel virtues, then we have to be ready to receive repentant brothers and sisters. The truth is, is it not not one of us, not one of us in this place has a drop of blessing at work and in operation in their life that they didn't receive from the hand of God. 
What do you have that you didn't receive? The word says. What do you have that you didn't receive? And if you received it, why do you boast like you didn't receive it? As if you earned it or as if you deserved it. What you have and what I have is grace. It's grace. What I have is grace. Work, cultivation is what you were created for by grace. Grace-empowered work is what you were saved for. Grace-empowered work is your calling as the new creation. And before I wrap up, I want to talk about just two more things quickly. First, I want to give an illustration. I decided, I decided this year to try to turn my, my small, like 400-square-foot field of weeds into a yard this past spring. I solicited some help from an expert in my wife's family, and I set out to start doing basically just what, whatever he told me to do. If he told me I needed to go out there and stand on my head for three hours, I would have tried it. I didn't know what I was doing, so I just did what he told me to do. And, and for about six weeks, maybe, we had a yard. We had a real yard. And then, and then crabgrass came and filled the entire thing, the entire yard, and choked out all the beautiful green grass that we had. And so I got to researching to find out what had happened. And I found out that even though we had tilled, even though we had dug and broken up the soil, there were still roots and seeds of this crabgrass laying in the dirt from years and years and years of neglect. Previous owners had cultivated a weed garden. And, and at one point I was sharing, I was sharing my plight with a buddy of mine, and I think he was trying to encourage me when he said this. He said, yeah, yeah, it, it takes about three years before you'll have anything that's worth showing anybody. You don't go from crabgrass infestation to a verdant lawn in six weeks. And sometimes that's what we're looking for. That's what we want. So my final exhor exhortation for us today is to just take one step, and by the grace of God, cultivate another step toward godliness. Perhaps today the Holy Spirit has brought someone to mind that you need to reconcile with. Perhaps the Holy Spirit has convicted you of indolence or laziness in your leadership, or maybe you're convicted of virtues that you have neglected, or maybe you're convinced that you lack or convicted that you lack love for the people around you and in your life. You can repent, and you can do that today. The kindness of God welcomes it. This is a three-year, this is a three-year process kind of growth in a Christian's life. It takes time. It's the kind of obedience that can only come from faith. And this sermon would be lacking if I didn't as we close, just ask one more question and say, what is it in your life that you are cultivating? What are you working for? What fruit is in your life? Is it rotten or is it healthy? What are your daily, weekly, monthly, yearly routines? 
What are they sowing into your heart? What are they sowing into the heart of your children? What are they sowing into the heart of your spouse? What are you cultivating? So as you leave today, I want us all to take a moment and take stock of what we are cultivating in our lives and ask God what steps he would have us take right now, right now. And remember, do all of it by grace, by grace. Grace is not only a favorable disposition from God to you. It's also generative. It's this power in your effort. Indeed, I would go so far as to say, grace is your effort happening. That is God's grace alive in your heart to live a life full of fruitful labor. And friends, as you do this, remember the fruit is heavy. It's heavy. It's heavy, like one pastor says. If God blesses our church with fruit, it will not be easy. It won't be easy, but it will be worth it. If God brings us to repentance and faithfulness and strong character and virtue and steadfastness and love as believers in Christ, that does not mean that it will be easy, but it will be beautiful, beautiful. And God in that moment will get all the glory. Pray with me as we close. Spirit of God, would you break up stony, hard soil in our hearts in this room, in my heart, in my heart? Crack it open. I want to have the kind of soil in my heart that gardeners love. Would you transform us would you move us forward by grace, knowing that we're sons and daughters? Your arms are around us. They're not pushing us. They're not looking at us dismissively or frustrated. You're not standing there with arms crossed, tapping your foot. You're embracing us. Fill us with faith in that so we can obey like people who have faith in that reality. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.